0: Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us.
1: What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC.
0: Hey, this is Larry H. Russell here, featured columnist at CLNS Radio, familiar voice here on Celtics Beat, and of course, author of the now critically acclaimed Fall of the Boston Celtics. Thank you to all those who have downloaded the book. Your appreciation only serves as a validation. And to those still interested in claiming your free copy that you are obligated to as a Celtics or an NBA fan, go to www.clnsradio.com LHRbook. That's clnsradio.com LHRbook. But for now, we know why you're here. To listen to the number one Boston Celtics podcast on the web, Celtics beat, brought to you by Lynda.com. Now, on with the show. Welcome back, and everybody, to yet another edition of Celtics Beat. Sunday, January twenty fifth, two thousand fifteen. I'm your host once again, Larry H. Russell. Good to speak with you again, audience. Thank you so much, as always, for making us the number one podcast on the web, which covers the Boston Celtics. And obviously, thank you so much to our sponsor, lynda.com. Want to learn a new skill? Want to challenge yourself? Go to www.lynda.com and get a free 10-day trial to take any course you wish at lynda.com. It's www.lynda/clns. But here we go again with yet another show. And when was the last time we've had this—a week where we could actually be pretty thrilled about the Celtics and what transpired over said prior week? Go all the way back to Martin Luther King Day against Los Angeles. That was a loss. We all expected them to lose that game. Clippers are a very good team. Celtics are still not really there yet. Celtics once again got picked down big early. Fought back you know, did enough, just enough to win, as it always seems to be. But to the surprise, to the shock of many, two wins in a row. Go to Portland Thursday evening. Well, evening out there. Middle of the night for us here on the East Coast. Yes, Portland didn't have the Marcus Aldridge, but that's still the Blazers. That's still the Rose Garden. That's still a solid team. It's still a Celtics team that had not won a game on the West Coast since Pierce, Garnett, Doc, and those guys were on the floor. And then to go Friday night, second night of a back-to-back, in a completely different time zone. Yes, Denver isn't the playoff team that they usually are, but that is a brutal spot, the second night of a back-to-back, in a different time zone, in the high altitude, and to come away with yet another one-point win. I'm thrilled. I know the fans are thrilled. And do we have something to talk about here? Can the Celtics make a charge? When I want to get touch on that a little bit later. Obviously, I know we will, but, you know, this is still a tough season. And it's not just the losing, obviously, but it's the fact that, you know, players view, might be viewing themselves as interchangeable. I mean, I've never seen a Celtic season like this where guys are just coming and going. So it's not tough, it's actually virtually impossible for a team to build any sort of identity when you have just a revolving door of players. So, It's really tough to sell the uniqueness and the value of being a Celtic when they could be out the door, so you have to give just an incredible amount of credit to Brad Stevens for not just these past two games, but for the reasons that we're in the dog days of January. A, losses have piled up, and B, you got guys, as mentioned, coming from left, right, and sideways, coming and going, can't build an identity on this team, can't sell the product of being a Celtic to them, yet this team has still been playing with effort, I'd say, night in and night out. I mean, I'm sure there's there's definitely some spots in the season where you know it wasn't always there, but that's the case with every team. There's 82 games, tough travel schedule. There's no chance you're going to get a human being to go 100% all the way through. With this team, I I am impressed. I can't believe it that this team has still been playing hard this late into the season, despite everything of what has happened with players coming playing, coming and going, all these losses piling up, and even the fact that he didn't really have the chance to you know build a rotation. So, I mean, this is I think. I don't want to you know, throw around adjectives like phenomenal coaching job for a team that's, I mean, I don't even know, what are they, 15 and 26 now? But, I mean, <laughs> he's showing what he can do as an NBA coach at these past two games. I mean, what was it? He actually had the team stay in Los Angeles for, was it, four days? I don't know if it fueled these last two wins, but look, looks pretty intelligent right now, I would say, yeah. It definitely helps that he has now what everyone has been clamoring for, and that is a more manageable roster, a roster where he can actually now set a rotation. And who knows, maybe actually go about and build an identity on on this team. It could also be that, and it could also be the fact that there's now, you know, a fair market correction in these games for the Celtics. You know, obviously at the beginning of the year they lost, I want to say, pretty much every close game they were involved in. There was a good piece on 538.com regarding the Celtics' point differential. It's closer to a differential that's closer to a 500 team rather than a team that's over 10 games. That's still 10 games plus under 500. And maybe that's sort of the basketball gods sort of you know evening it out. And that's certainly plausible in the fact that if you watch, especially last night's game, I mean, the Celtics definitely did get lucky. (laughs) I mean, when you uh, down the stretch, even though you are on the road, the offensive execution was still a little shaky, and there was still just some skittish moments, particularly with Evan Turner at the free throw line, had a chance really to not just, well, not even ice the game, but, you know, create at least some breathing room. Celtics did hang on there. They did rely on a few breaks and, you know, bounces of the ball to go their way. It's definitely not the blueprint you draw in terms of winning, closing out games on the road when it's that that futile down the stretch, excuse me, but... They came away with a win. They relied on a little bit of luck, and they definitely relied on a little bit of skill. Speaking of the skill, the defense, I think we got to touch upon this. It's not 2008 Celtics, 2004 Pistons, 1990s Bulls. It's not a championship defense. It's still probably middle of the league, middle of the pack. But let's go back to the beginning of the season and even the preseason. The defense was horrific. It was awful. And there's been substantial improvement in that area. And there was a great column that ran earlier in this week, or maybe maybe at the end of last week, by Kevin O'Connor over at Celtics Blog, who was discussing Tyler Zeller's individual defense. Since then, Tyler Zeller has been moved to the bench, but he's still been getting you know, plenty of burn. He's still play, playing plenty of minutes. Individually, he pointed out, I was shocked at just how... Much of an impact Zeller is having on the defensive end. And there's, from a team standpoint, there's actually no arguing it. Since Zeller has been, you know, if they thrust him into the starting lineup, but not just, you know, being in the starting lineup, because now he's been on the bench the last few games, but really into the steady rotation, being a key cog into this team, the Celtics are now, I mean, a league average defense. And that's definitely not the end goal for this team, but. One thing we came into this season, or at least I know I did, thing I really wanted to see this season was improvement. Anywhere. I mean, literally. Rebounding defense. Uh, in- individually, certain players. I mean, Selinger de- developing a more complete game. Whatever. Any sort of improvement, be it an individual talent or as a team. You cannot argue that there's been substantial improvement from last year and from especially the beginning of this year on the defensive end. Can build upon it can now get important cogs in terms of different players in the future to add upon it. But I am very impressed and very pleased at the improvement on the defensive end, be it Tyler Zeller, be it the fact that Brad Stevens is still his message is still resonating despite very tough times. It's, it's tough to, you know, become a leader of men when you're losing still as many games as the Celtics are, you know, despite these last two games. And what can I say? I'm, I'm sitting here on on this end doing jumping jacks. Well, right, Not right now, but I, I did it before the show, and I'll, I'll likely do them after the show as well. I'm doing jumping jacks over what I've been seeing this past week. And you know what? I, this isn't just me overreacting to two wins because I actually want to get my final thoughts into this in a few minutes. I'm doing jumping jacks over the fact that I'm still seeing this team play with effort, and I'm now seeing improvement on the team. That's really all that I wanted to see going into the season was improvement. I did not want to see this team plateau. Have there been players that have plateaued? I mentioned Jared Solinger on last week's show. I'm still a little disappointed in him, but I, I just like I'm I just like what I'm seeing from a team standpoint on the defensive end, and I love what I'm seeing on a team standpoint in the effort department. It's still there, and it's really good to see this team challenge a little. Obviously, from a fan and a media standpoint, I'd love to see more relevant games down the stretch. I don't want these final, still three months of the season. We still got a long way to go. Being the dreaded play out the string, I mean, make a run at a playoff spot. Yeah, I know. What is it? There's still one game out of the loss column. I that, that's still a little deceptive uh, because yeah. we'll, they still gonna get, they still have a few more tough games out west. We know we this is still gonna be a tough trip when it's all said and done because. You know, they go to Golden State tonight. I think we can safely chalk that one up as a loss. And then they play Utah tomorrow night. Dif- you know, same thing as with Denver, but different time zone. But Utah is a little bit more of a tougher matchup because they got a little more size, which, as we all know, usually teams with size tends to beat the Celtics. Bad matchup for the Celtics coupled with the fact that it's a different time zone on the night of a back-to-back. And now it's also, what is it, the fourth game in f- five nights for the Celtics? That's going to be a little sketchy. And then they finish up with Minnesota. And yeah, I know that's Minnesota, but by then, the, you know, this road trip's over a week old. That's a team that could be desperately wanting to go home. It's going to be tough to to get a good, solid effort for that game. Could they win it? Absolutely. I mean, do we almost expect them to win it? I don't want to say expect it, but we all like to see them win it. But it'd be certainly understandable if they do lose it. Now you're looking at a road trip when, we, you know, we actually ended up losing four games so it's not gonna look as enticing as it did as as we are sitting here on this Sunday morning so I'm gonna push back the playoff talk a, a lot. I mean I know there are one game out but I think by the time they return from this West Coast road trip, we all regardless expect this to be a sub500 road trip anyways, And they're going to be sort of back where they were, in fact, where they were all season. So I definitely suggest keeping an eye on the draft, which is what we're going to do, because I have Jeff Goodman coming on the show in a minute. But you know what? I'm not going to quell your optimism. If you think this team can challenge for the eighth playoff spot, I, I, I pray they do. I pray I'm wrong, because I think this is still going to be one of the five to eight worst teams in the league, somewhere around there. It's good. It's a little bit better than where they were last year, but if you look at the big picture, take a step back, look at the grand scheme of things, you got to think there's still possibly another trade coming, which isn't going to help this team immediately. In fact, can only worsen the team. Brandon Bass is having a big impact on this team the last two games. He, you know, I've argued pretty much all season. i I'd I like to see the Celtics keep him. I mean, they, they need some veterans around these young players, and and Brandon Bass is a pro. And if they do end up trading him or even losing him as a free agent this summer, I mean, some team I think is just going to steal him. He's just the kind of guy you want in your locker room. And if the Celtics do end up losing him, I think that's going to create an even further dent on this team. So you still got to look, take a step back, appreciate these last two games, Definitely appreciate the last two games when you consider the Celtics have to go into Golden State tonight, which is uh, a gauntlet in itself. Appreciate these last two games, but you know you still I still suggest taking a, a realistic outlook at this team. I, if you want to cheer them on for a playoff spot, by all means, please do. I'd, I'd love to see them make a run, but I. Don't think that this is something that you should set your expectations at and get disappointed if the Celtics end up not making this charge to the postseason. So I say now, weigh the optimism and the realism fairly. You can still root for this team, for sure. I more than suggest rooting for this team, obviously. But let's also take a look uh, on the future as well. The NBA draft is still going to be a very important component in terms of building the next Celtic team, the next great Celtic team. And when you're talking draft, when you're talking college basketball, there really isn't anyone more apt to speak about it than Jeff Goodman of ESPN. I mean, he's as connected and, quite frankly, as intelligent and as astute as any draft analyst, any college basketball analyst that there is out there. And it's now seemingly that whenever we need to talk – college prospects on the show. We get Jeff on, so we're not really going to waste much more time. We're going to go right to this right here. So we're going to welcome into the show ESPN Insider, an all-out basketball and NBA draft whiz as stated, Jeff Goodman of ESPN and ESPN.com. Jeff, it's uh, I think it's uh, pretty impressive that it took us until January 25th to get you on the show. Last year was, <laughs> December, it was, last year was December 14th to talk about the draft. I'm happy that We've been able to drag it out this long and at least get to the new year before we began draft talk regarding the NCA and the Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah, I'm not. I'm not sure why we waited this long because I think we knew this day was coming. We just didn't know when, right? I mean, could have done it in December. We probably could have done it uh, prior to the start of the season. But I think once the Rondo era ended, uh, I, I think then you turn the page and you realize that this this team has no shot of making the playoffs.
0: Know, as if there was any hope before or during the season, there were obviously some tease wins in there, even actually less so than last year when they were like, I think like like 10 and 11 at one point. But, you know, they had a few interesting wins, but now they're out West, they're facing reality. Talk to me vaguely about this draft. I remember you were a big fan of last year's draft and that this year had some, and I remember you told me this on, I think, our show in July or something, that, that this year's draft had some interesting talent at the top. And obviously you were the first person to introduce me to Okafor, but... You mentioned how this year's draft may not be as deep as last year's. Do you still stand by that statement now that we're a few months into the college basketball season?
1: Well, you know, when we're evaluating last year's draft, it's, it's unfair right now just that so many of those guys have been hurt. You know, uh, Wiggins is really starting to get it going. But but so many, you know, Embiid's out for the year. Julius Randle's out for the year. McDermott's been hurt. Uh, you know, it's just been so many good Smart was hurt for a while. Uh, so I think it's hard to evaluate Jabari Parker. Parker out of the year, right? So, uh, you know, decimated with it, with the top 10 guys, really, by injuries. Uh, this upcoming year's draft won't have that same star power. You know, we haven't promoted it, uh, certainly like we did last year, and, and and that's not just ESPN. That's everybody involved with, I think, the draft. Uh, I think there's one really, really franchise-type player, and that's Julia loka you know, Duke's big man, who's probably going to be the national player of the year, certainly be one of the top, you know, two or three guys. Uh, you know, I, I think he's got a chance to really change a franchise. Other than that, I'm not sure I see too many. And, you know, the one thing I look at, though, when I say that always is like, all right, you know, how great is the NBA right now? You know, there's probably 10 or 15 great players. And after that, you look at it and you say to yourself, all right, well, why can't they be in that next tier? Why can't, a, you know, Emmanuel Moutier or Carl Anthony Towns, uh, Moutier's playing in China right now, was supposed to get at SMU, about a 6'5", big, strong athletic point guard. Towns is a long, you know, 6'11", freshman at Kentucky who's skilled. Why can't they be that eventually? And I think they can. Um, I just think, again, we look at them now and they're so raw. And Towns is you know, averaging about eight points a game. On a Kentucky team that's platooned for a lot of a the season. They're deep. And Moutier was dominating in China against a bunch of unathletic Chinese dudes for the most part. So we don't know yet. We haven't seen it. Where with, with Julia for, you know, I, I knew it before he got to college, but now solidified by the fact that he's doing it night in and night out.
0: I definitely want to get to a few of those players in the moment, particularly Towns and Moutier, who are probably. It's funny that you mentioned that Towns is only averaging eight points a game. But I actually watched a little bit of Kentucky, and, I mean, I, I'm personally impressed by him. And I want to get back to him, but you know, I want to talk about Okafor. I mean, first off, he's unequivocally going to be the number one pick, correct?
1: I'd be shocked if he was. I mean, absolutely shocked. Even if the Sixers, you know, get the number one pick, and they've obviously got Embiid in New Orleans Noel, I think they'd take Okafor and try to figure out Sam Hinkie just, you know, compiling as many assets as he can anyway. Uh, We'd figure it out from there.
0: Yeah, but it's also interesting when you mentioned Okafor and you said that he could be a franchise-altering talent. You know, why is it tougher to identify these franchise-saving talents? I mean, back in the day, it just seemed that it was so much easier, and now it's just tougher to find out. I really, in the last—pretty much since LeBron, I'd only argue one is Anthony Davis when he was coming out, especially, you know, when he was doing that run in the tournament that year where it was every team that was in the lottery was like, oh, my God, we got to get this guy. And now he's certainly proving that on the, on the level. But, you know, everyone has seen me come into the NBA with questions to one degree or another since LeBron. And, I mean, there was even a debate between Dwight Howard and Ameka Okafor. Uh, really, as a two part question, is, is, could Okafor be sort of like that next Patrick Ewing, Anthony Davis, David Robinson, Tim Duncan type? And the second little follow up question is why is it harder that, you know, for teams to identify these guys?
1: Yeah, I, I think Okafor can be that type of franchise big. I'm, I'm not sure if I'm going to put him in the Tim Duncan class yet, uh, just again, because Tim Duncan's just done it for so long. And, you know, I, I think Okafor, is, he's so unique. The right team has got to have him because you've got to be able to utilize it, and, and he's so unique because you can throw him the ball in the paint, and there just aren't a lot of guys right now that you can throw the ball to in the paint, and they're going to score. And they're going to space the court and he's coachable as anything. So, you know, while DeMarcus Cousins is more physically gifted, uh, you know, Okafor is so solid, so stable, so coachable, plays hard, plays smart, uh, will learn and, and has learned how to pass out the double. He can score. He can He can protect the rim. He's not going to be a big-time shot blocker, but, you know, he'll be a good, solid shot blocker in, in, in the league for many years to come. Um I think it's harder to evaluate these kids because, you know, part of it is uh, they're only there a year, you know, and a lot of them, it takes some time to get acclimated. Now, look at Kelly Oubre is a great example. Kid of Kansas, who a lot of people had as a top 10 pick before the season. Well, the first nine games, Bill Self didn't even play him. I mean, he averaged 10 10 minutes a game. He was averaging two points a game. The last nine games – He's starting to really get going. He's averaging, I think, similar numbers to what Wiggins averaged last year uh, over the course of the season in Kansas. So, you know, part of it is where you where you end up, how you utilize. Like I didn't think Andrew Wiggins was utilized well at Kansas at all last, year. you know, and, and and he didn't know how to play against his own. Well, now the last three weeks we've seen uh, in the NBA, he's surprised me. Now he's in the right setting because he's forced. To have to produce. They're going through him every every game, uh, you know, getting fifteen twenty shots a game. So you're forced to have to take on that alpha dog role. But I just think it's hard to evaluate when you're talking about evaluating AAU basketball, which is sometimes not even basketball. And then a year of college for most of these kids. Uh, and the other part is mentally trying to evaluate these guys. How do you, how do you know what they have between the years? You know, Michael Beasley. Is a really good talent. But nobody knew he had the, the issues he had upstairs. I mean, I, I had a pretty good idea. He had some of them. But, you know, major weed problem. Uh, you know, very, very, very uh, you know, just uh, immature. So those are the other factors that you got to look into this. It's like, how well do people know? Uh, for instance, Willie Collins Stein's a good example. You know, he's a guy that Everybody's questioning for two years whether he'd love to play the game. And there's still a lot of risk right now and reward with Willie College. He can't score, but he's probably the best defender in college basketball right now, the 7 footer of Kentucky. But the question all NBA guys are asking themselves right now is, like, well, is he going to come to play? Like, he's just kind of out there.
0: I uh, want to ask this question. It's actually a little off-topic, but since this is a very Socratic show, we can – Gets to, we'll go with where the discussion takes us before we get back on track with the draft prospects. Would you be any sort of proponent of, you know, getting rid of the one and done and try to, you know, work in these guys staying two, if not even three years?
1: Yeah, I mean, three would be ideal because I think then, for, for a multitude of reasons, you know, one, they're ready when you get to the NBA. Uh, you know, the, the they're not as... Worry about getting out as quickly as they can. So they're going to be more apt to lock into the college experience, the college coach listening rather than maybe tuning them out and just saying, Hey, I'm only going to be here for a few months anyway. Like, why am I listening to this guy? I'm, I'm out. I'm checked out in January, February. Obviously the academic component. If you have three years invested, if you're more apt to get your degree and, and hopefully set yourself up for life after, after the MBA. Um, So I think there's plenty of reasons. I just don't know if it's going to happen, you know, and and I would let kids go out of high school. You don't want to go to college. You don't have to go to college. And if you don't get drafted out of high school, you have the opportunity to then go to college. So like you want to put your name in, maybe you get knucklehead advice from people and and you're not even going to be drafted, but you're a high school kid. Well, if you screw up, then I, I think because you're in high school, you kind of get a mulligan and you can go to college.
0: Yeah, I mean, I, I've actually when they when they instituted the one year thing, I want to say this was around probably like what, like two thousand six. Now, that was supposed to be sort of like
1: nudging it. In it was way. earlier than that. Yeah, it was like nine years ago. Yeah, nine years. Oh, I ago. think it, I think it might have been
0: 05, because I know Gerald Green came yeah. out of high school. He was oh five. So yeah, 05, 06, around there. And it was supposed to be just sort of to nudge it in the right direction. But now here we are nearly a decade later, and we're still into this one-and-done thing. And now I'd even argue that the one-and-done is actually even more detrimental than just coming out of high school to begin with. Because as you stated, I mean, it's almost just like, I mean, the whole mercenary environment. And like you said, the fact is, you know, you're just forcing these guys to really only just stay there a year. And guys are saying, well, you know, in less than 125 but I want to be there. Yeah, I know. So, right. But if you make it a three-year commitment – then that just sort of changes the whole complexion. I think, you know, three years, like you said, that's a little, like, unrealistic. But at least getting it to two would, would just change. Yeah, you're that. halfway yeah.
1: through, right? You're halfway through, and when you walk in the door, you know, and, and then again, it's these kids starting now, really, once that the second se- semester began, you know. Now, Okafor is a different type of kid. I don't think he's, he's just tanking uh, academics, uh, but certainly some kids might be that way you know Stanley Johnson in Arizona right now who knows you know how much he's invested and if I were him and I went to Arizona and I were him and I knew I was going pro how invested would I be in my classes right now probably not very
0: yeah I mean that's just the call of the conversation from the day and like I said it was very Socratic to even bring it up because that was just sort of where the discussion was going but I mean, we have been yeah. talking about Okafor a lot and everything, and obviously he'd be a fit for anybody, you know, anyone, let alone the Celtics. Could you? I mean, the Celtics. I mean, they're going to get, you know, probably most likely a top seven pick once again. I mean, you know, dare we say it? We're not allowed to mention the Celtics winning the lottery because that never happens. But they do. Have <laughs> a, well, they do have a lot of draft picks where Ainge could be very creative in the sense that he could almost make like a Herschel Walker type offer to like trade up in the draft to a very high position. And in fact, I think that I consider that very likely because they're not going to be able to make all these draft picks over the next three or four years. So let's, you know, let's, you know, operate under the assumption that the Celtics can pretty much have anyone in this draft. And then obviously we'll get to that when we get there in, in June. But
1: Other than Okafor. Yeah, other,
0: other than Okafor, because you talk about some other players that could be, you know, good fits for this, you know, the 2015 Boston Celtics.
1: Yeah, I don't think they go with Emmanuel Moutier, only because they're, they're, they're loaded with charts anyway. You know, I, I just don't see them drafting another point guard that's, that's not a true point. He's bigger and stronger than – maybe not stronger, but he's bigger than Marcus Smart uh, a little bit. But they're, they're similar. So I, I don't see them going with Emmanuel Moutier if he's there. And, again, he's he signed with SMU. Uh, the NCAA basically kind of got into him a little bit about amateurism and academics. He ends up going to China. Said it was to support his family, but uh, I'm not buying that. Um, Carl Towns, definitely intriguing. If he's on the board when the Celtics draft, uh, I would think they would take him. Uh, He's got the length they need, Uh, 6'11", really skilled to play inside, can play out, can block shots. Uh, You know, still a work in progress, still young, and I think he's from Dominican uh, Republic. Uh, Very, very talented kid. Uh you know, my biggest thing with the Celtics is what do they need more than anything? They need they need wings. They need a scoring wing, right? Wouldn't we agree?
0: They needed it when they had ever since uh, Paul Pierce began to decline, there's no doubt about
1: it. So the guy to me that fits the Celtics, and he's probably gonna be drafted somewhere in that range from probably four to eight, nine, somewhere around there, is Stanley Johnson, the kid I mentioned a little bit ago. Yeah, he's about six, seven. He is a man. He's six seven, about two forty, and uh, big, strong, athletic. Uh, was like a top hundred recruit after his sophomore year of high school he went to Modern Day High School in, in L.A. in Anaheim, and uh, and kind of people thought he was more a four than anything at that point, like an undersized guy. Could shoot. Really worked on his game. Uh, his shooting is extremely well this year. Shooting, I think last I looked, about forty percent for three of the greatest practice habits, but man, when he gets out the court, he's a killer. He's an animal. He's tough. He's strong. Again, he can power his way to the rim, doesn't shoot it like Pierce, and, but has a bigger, stronger body, can come in physically and impact the game now. Uh, he's a guy, I think, that fits what the Celtics need. If you said anybody in that range from two to eight, other than Carl Anthony Towns because of his length and upside, I would say it's Stanley Thompson.
0: It's almost as if you sort of described to me the Rajon Rondo version of a small forward Has you know, I mean, just seems to be out there in terms of, you know, personality-wise. But
1: he could be a leader. Stanley could be a leader. Rondo cannot.
0: Yeah, that did that did concern me though about his practice habits. That's one of the things that I've been really impressed about Marcus Smart about uh, Smart about, yeah. and the reason why I believe Smart will eventually be a very solid NBA player is he looks like he wants to improve. I mean, and he yes. looks like he's the type of player that puts his time into his deficiencies and something that he'll work on in the offseason that's really what I think hurt Rondo over time and you're seeing him now decline to the point where he's actually I think a league average point guard at age 28 29 which I was very concerned about four years ago and I know you mentioned for so many years and you can even go back to Antoine Walker as well who came into the league with a lot of good raw skills there were some you know points about his game that were a little rough around the edges and, and we just sort of were always running operating on the assumption of oh he'll work on that in the offseason and he never did so that really concerns me when you mention how Johnson doesn't seem to have the practice habits and you mentioned that you know he's a good shooter but isn't a great shooter and I mean that's
1: but he admits Larry the one thing is when I talked to him a few weeks back he is aware of it he's aware of it he'll say I know I didn't have to do it in high school. Uh, I could kind of just kind of lollygag through practice and get away with it. I know I need to get better at it. He is at least self-aware where Rondo was never self-aware, never understood, you know, his deficiencies up until whatever it was, a month ago when he came here and said, you know, I haven't defended in a couple of years. Uh, you know, I, I think Stanley Johnson, deep down, has leadership qualities, Uh will get better, and, again, he can really score the basketball. The other, the other wing is Justice Winslow at Duke, who's similar in terms of being a man. Uh, you know, same thing, six 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 seven, but far more defensive minded. Not a great shooter, not a great scorer yet. So I, I think if I'm the Celtics and I've got a choice of one of those two guys, it's clear as, as day you go Stanley Johnson because he could score the basketball.
0: I think there's no question. That's pretty much what the Celtics need. I'd actually argue that they have pretty good. Defensive players at the 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 wing. I mean, you got Jay Crowd, He's actually a free agent, but I'm I'm actually under the assumption the sellers will probably bring him back. They obviously have Avery Bradley under contract. Marcus Smart. We're seeing what he's doing. So defensively, I think they're pretty much covered out in the ring. You know, they clearly need the center and obviously Okafor would obviously be that guy for the Celtics as he would be for any team. But the guy I really want to talk about is Carl Anthony Towns because I'm not gonna lie that you know, I don't actually have cable, believe it or not. So if there's any anything I watch is 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 Kentucky and they seem to be on, you know, CBS every Saturday, Sunday afternoon. So it's funny that you mentioned to me that he's only averaging eight points a game. I'm personally very impressed, and when you were talking about him as a player, you, you actually didn't mention his passing. And for a guy that size and a kid that young, I, I mean, his passing skills are, you know, exceptional. Could you maybe go in a little more detail about that kid to me? Yeah,
1: I, I mean, I think he's a good passer. I don't think he's an exceptional passer, but I think he's a good passer. Well, for that age, uh, though. Again, he's, yeah, and he's long. Uh, he can step out and make shots. You know, he needs to get a little bit stronger. Um, but but he's that guy that's kind of the upside guy that I was talking about. You know, do you know what he's got in him right now mentally? Like how good is he going to be from that standpoint? He, he's a little bit of a roll of the dice. But when you're talking about some of these guys right now in the top ten, he's got probably more upside or as much as any of them. Um, you know, you look at compare him to like a Frank Kaminsky, senior at Wisconsin, who uh, burns obviously last year, seven footer pick-and-pop, seven-footer. He's terrific, but uh, you look at Carl Anthony Towns compared to Kaminsky, and NBA guys will say, I'll pick Towns all day, every day because of his upside, because of his athleticism. You know, he, he can block shots not at the level of Norland Noel or Anthony Davis, but uh, he's blocking a ton of shots this year, which really surprised.
0: I definitely want to talk a little bit more about prospects, but we're also on the subject of Kentucky here, and we're going to you know shift more to maybe talking about just the NCAA in general. Uh, Give me a percentage point. I'm going to let you play the role of Vegas Wise Guy, the all-mortal dictator, of setting Vegas setting lines. Give me a percentage the uh, percentage possibility of Kentucky actually running the table and you know, winning the whole thing without losing one game.
1: I don't see it. I mean, I've said that before the season. I'd be shocked. I mean I know the SCC stinks, uh, but we've seen already here multiple times that they're playing with fire. You know, old mitts at home, at Texas a and probably should have lost both games. Dandy the other night at home, uh, you know, it's a one or two possession game late. I just don't see it. I, again, I, I don't know who beats them, but I, I think somebody beats them even in, in SEC play.
0: So it's actually almost probably better that they lose a game before the tournament.
1: I always think so. I mean, again, Cal Perry, you know, you, you want to go undefeated and run the table because it's something that hasn't been done in 40 years. But you know, for these kids, the pressure—they already face pressure to go into the tournament undefeated. I, I think would would only add to it. and I'm not sure that's what you need.
0: And when I'm watching this Kentucky team, and this is obviously the team I watch by far the most. But they, I think you mentioned what was it they played uh, was it Texas Tech, I believe, a few weeks ago that went to like double overtime or something. And that A&M, Texas A&M, A&M, A&M. A&M yeah. that's right, and they and I was fairly impressed because Towns fouled out, uh, I believe Colley Stein fouled Callie out, Stein. Yep. and, yep. Uh, you know, speaking of Colley Stein, he's sort of like, what's it, like a mid-lottery pick, like 9-10 around there, yeah. or, you know, and then, so you got the, you know, end of the lottery, and then even mid-first round, because the Celtics are actually going to have a few of those, you know, may have, a, maybe not an end of lottery pick, but they'll have some mid-first rounders, obviously, yeah. Lord knows if they use these picks, like I mentioned earlier in our, in our you know, discussion. They won't in they, two years. Yeah, yeah, they're
1: not using four first-rounders in two years. I think they'll use both first-rounders this coming year unless Danny can pull some off. I mean, listen, the one thing with Danny is he's going to explore every avenue. He doesn't care. I mean, anybody who says they know what Danny is going to do is out of their mind. I mean, he'll look, he'll look to trade up. Package both picks. they will look to package, you know, if they get the number five pick and he loves Carl Anthony Jams, he'll look to maybe move up a couple spots if he's got to give that second first rounder and he thinks Carl Anthony Jams can be a franchise guy, he'll trade it. You know, like, like he's not afraid. And, and I like that about him, but where so many GMs are scared to make a mistake, he doesn't care at all.
0: But... On on the topic of the uh, mid first round pick, do, what are some possibilities or names to keep an eye on? You know, three or four guys in that say you know thirteen to twenty range.
1: Yeah, I mean it. It, it depends again on 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 what your uh, what you've got. I mean, I think at, at that point you're going with best available player and seeing who's still on the on the board. You know, you could you could go with a uh, you know a, a long athletic big, a Bobby Portis at Arkansas. Who's was really talented. Uh, a Ronda Hollis Jefferson at Arizona. I don't know if he really fits. He's not a great offensive player. Uh, you know, Sam Decker, Wisconsin, a good wing. who has got a lot of potential. Uh, needs to get a little bit more confident. Terrence LaVert probably won't. I don't know what he'll do now. He's a long, uh, versatile wing for Michigan. He's out for the year. He broke his foot again for the second time here. Uh in, in, in the last year. Uh, you know, Kelly Oubre is a guy that I still think will go somewhere in the top 10 or 12. And, and we mentioned him earlier from Kansas. Talented. He could come back. Um, trying to think of who else would be in that, you know, uh, in that kind of range uh, that they'd be looking at. You think Coley uh, Stein
0: will probably, he's no doubt a lottery pick, no matter what, despite... Yeah, some- I don't
1: think he falls out. I don't think Kevon Looney who's a uh, really athletic kind of combo forward. Right now, more forward than a three at UCLA. He's a freshman. Miles Turner at Texas, 6'11", skilled freshman, uh, not a great athlete. He'll probably go somewhere in the lottery. So I'm kind of thinking of names, you know, Montrez Harrell, maybe. Kid at Louisville who came back junior. He's kind of a 6'8", energy, just four man. But they've got a 104 men. Well, maybe not hundred anymore, but they they still got enough format. But I, I think again, what you need is you need a shooter. Devin Booker would be a kid I'd look out had Kansas. A Kentucky, i don't think he comes out, but he's the freshman who's making every darn shot for Kentucky right now. He's terrific. Uh, that'd be one I'd look out with their second first round pick potentially if he comes out. But you know, you, you gotta get a you gotta hit it right with a wing right now. You gotta get a scoring wing and then you got to get a just a knockdown shooter. And and they're not one and the same right now because Stanley Johnson, who you might be able to get that first eight picks or so, is not a knockdown shooter, and there's nobody who's going to go and top eight picks really, in my opinion, that's a knockdown shooter. So you got to get a scorer there. And then, you know, listen, if somebody somebody's on the board that you think has a chance to be a star no matter what position, you take him. But, you know, the problem is, again, if you take a point guard right now, you're only going to hurt Marcus smart, Like you got to feed Marcus smart minutes right now. You got to find out if he's a piece of point guard of the future. And if you figure that out, I think he can be, as you said, I think he can be a top 10 ish point guard in this league. He's so great defensively. He's so tough. He's got the intangibles. He can lead. He'll become a, a, a good, not a great shooter ever, but it'll become a decent shooter, uh, probably an above average shooter in time. Um, and I love, I love his habits. I love his work habits. I, Remember seeing him in practice two years ago at Oklahoma State. And like, I'm the only one there. He doesn't know I'm there or anything like that. And the kid's like diving all over the floor, talking to his teammates. He's just he's got it. Marcus Smart has it. So I want him in this franchise for a long period of time because I think he can really, really affect the locker room in a positive way. I think Avery Bradley's the same same thing, not as vocal as Marcus. But to really affect the locker room in the right way, I think Avery still, to me, if he's your third guard, that's when you have a really good team. That's when you have a team that can go, you know, uh, deeper into the playoffs, when Avery Bradley is your third guard, and Jared Sullinger is your first big off the bench.
0: See, I actually think that, I mean, I look at it this way, if if Smart could develop into a top 10-ish point guard... See Solinger, this is the the, the conundrum. I'm going to totally switch. I think Bradley is capable of starting on a championship team. I thought we saw it in 2012. If he's sort of like your stopper, and if Marcus Smart does develop into that top ten point guard, which I think me and you are both in agreement that he will, if for no other reason that he doesn't have to be this you know John Stockton t- or Gary, you know type distributor, but right. it just, it, he'll just I think if just, just get to the point where his offense is competent. He'll impact the game so much defensively, but when we talk about Solinger, I think see they're in an interesting sp- spot here with Solinger. I'm a little disappointed in Solinger this year because he kind of plateaued. He's the same player as he was last year, and you never like seeing that from from young players where they don't take like big steps like one, two, three, four, five in like their first three years. Yep. And when they it just always concerns me. But they're in an interesting spot with Solinger and Ole See, I think Solinger could start. On a championship team, if say Anthony Davis was your center or Jahil Okafor was your center, you know what I mean? <laughs> yeah. and, that's
1: fine. You know, and, and, so, and Avery Bradley. Listen, and Avery Bradley already can start if you have Kevin Garnett, Ray Allen, uh, Rondo, and yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I
0: think that's that's what you know they're really looking for. I mean, and but that's obviously.
1: a re, that's a dream world now. That's a dream world that you're not living in anymore. So I think. You, you want the the backcourt of Marcus Smart and Avery Bradley when, let's face it, up front you're not going to have all star, all star, all star.
0: I think that's probably what they're still working at, though. I mean, it's we all know that Ainge sort of, you know, we, we mentioned this earlier, and you know, mentioned this earlier. Ainge explores every avenue, and it, you know, in the NBA for over the last seven or eight years now, there's always, you know two or three guys that are complaining in their current situation. And then every fan yeah, base for sure. every team is, you know, saying, Hey, let's go get player X and player Y. And, you know, that, we're not seeing that this year, actually, in terms of, you know, a potential star that could come on the market. I know it's the whole Kevin love thing, but I mean, he's already said he's going to opt yeah, in and give it time. Yeah.
1: Give it time. We're still happy. You know, not even at the all-star break. I, you know, here's, here's what I think. It, it this is where the Celtics are going to have to be. I think hit a home run is they're going to have to overpay for a restricted free agent. That's what they're going to have to do. They're going to have to like what what Dallas did for Chandler Parsons. They're going to have to overpay, and that team is going to have to say, you know what? And here's the guy. Like here's the guy they have to overpay for. A guy like Draymond Green with Golden State, who I love. He's a piece. He's not a star but he's a damn good piece. And if you put Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, and Draymond Green out there together, and Draymond's like I I don't even know what, to, he's not even a position, and I don't care. Like, you put those three dudes around, and then you hit a home run with, with you know, if you somehow got Okafor or or Towns or something like that, okay, now you got something. But you're going to have to overpay for a rest- restricted free agent, and, you know, it, most of the guys, you know, like Listen, Jimmy Butler, you're not getting Jimmy Butler. Whatever you, whatever you put forth in front of Jimmy Butler, the Bulls are going to match it. But Draymond Green, will Golden State pay him max money when you got Curry, you got Clay, you know, you got other other guys yeah, yeah, there. I'm not sure gonna be making some money pay. too. Yeah, I'm not sure they're going to be able to pay him.
0: One thing too, though, Bob. before we wrap this up. One thing, too, regarding restricted free agents, just sort of how like I heard Kawhi Leonard's name tossed around. Of, oh, know, they're going to
1: match. No, there's no way San is letting them walk.
0: But, but one thing is, with regards to restricted free agents, you can still work out sign and trades. And you mentioned overpaying in terms of salary. You could also maybe even try to entice teams away saying, hey, you know, I know you're going to match, but, you know, we'll make you a godfather type offer. Because I think, regardless, not only are you going to have to overpay in a restricted free agent, They'll have to overpay in a trade, anyways, because I mean, I, I don't want to say they have to dump some of these picks, but we all know they can't use them all. So in a way, that the, these picks will have less value, and they may have to overpay in a sign and trade as well.
1: Yep, no, it's absolutely right. I mean, listen that that's that's gonna be that's gonna have to be the way they get this done here is draft and hitting it right with 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 some player here that uh, you know that's kind of again you're gonna. They're, they're probably going to give them more than they're worth at this time and, and understand that, you know what, they're, they're probably not an all star, uh, caliber player, but they're the next year under. And that's what you're going to need to go along with this group and, and to kind of solidify it and, and let them grow. And, um, uh, I listen, I haven't given up on this team. Uh, I, I think they'll get back, but they've got to get a couple more key pieces right now. And Danny Ainge just got to trade, you know, got to, got to get something out of these first round picks, whether it's young players through the draft or turning them into something, you know, big time assets, uh, you know, players for other teams.
0: That certainly goes without saying. And I think that one thing we should all mention, I want to ask you one more question before we go, but one thing that we should mention is you'd also don't want the culture of this team to just completely disintegrate as it, you know, it pretty right. much has over the last year and a half. And, you know, you mentioned getting Jay, Draymond Green as, you know, overpaying for him. I'd certainly be on board with that. In fact, I was a bit, big fan of his coming out of the draft and was, you know, somewhat, you know, I'd like to, you know, we all love to brag and say, oh, I wanted this guy in the draft back then. I, sure. I'm not going to lie, I wanted him, but, you know, you, you, Attitude wise, getting say oh. know, Marcus Smart, Avery Bradley, and Draymond Green, I mean th- there's right. I mean, that's a very coachable team for Brad Stevens, but Oh, it'd
1: be terrific. I mean Draymond Green and you you get Draymond Green coming off a franchise that is winning. I mean that's the other part. He'd bring a breath of fresh air. The kids always upbeat. And you've got a head coach that's so even keel and so positive, even through all this losing for two years. If you added Draymond Green, it would be like, okay, we're adding a guy that has won everywhere he's really been. So I, I think that's the other part that would really help if you bring in. I mean, that's what you want to do. You, when you add somebody now, you don't want to add somebody from a losing. You know, it, it worked with Pierce Garnett and Ray Allen, but it, it doesn't work very often. Those guys were such high level, they were able to do it at that point in their career. But right now, if you're adding a guy, you don't want to add another guy from a losing. Uh, franchise because they've already got enough of that right now in, in in that locker room.
0: Yeah, I mean, well, you also mentioned too that I mean those guys they came from losing situations, but they also at one point another did experience some you know winning in their careers. They'd all been to conference finals. Yep. But last question, definitely before I let you go even here, a long time for us. It's just. We certainly appreciate it. I, I mean, you mentioned specifically the last, I think, two times we've spoken on this show, be it in July and I think last December, December 2013, that is, that you almost specifically pinpointed the 2015 offseason for the Celtics. Now, I know you said earlier in the show you can never guess what Danny Ainge is going to do, but I mean, this is so, this does sort of seem like not the perfect storm, but you know the year where regardless the Celtics are going to do something drastic and take some sort of a step forward next year i mean you know maybe not next year become a 50 win team but you know becoming this 20 to 25 win team and then maybe becoming you know 37 38 and not yeah. only that not win wise but putting a piece or two in place that is pivotal i mean like you said you can't predict what danny is going to do but do you really see that happening this offseason
1: I think they'll take a step forward. Again, I think they're going to overpay for for a restricted free agent. I think they'll get a guy in the draft, another top, you know, seven or eight picks. You'll have two straight years of top seven or eight picks, which will help. And then the question is, does Danny Ainge wait on those four potential, you know, first-round draft picks in 16? Does he trade one in 16 or something in in 15 for something now, whether it's, you know, moving up in the draft? or a player, I, I would. I mean, I would listen. I wouldn't wait at this point. I wouldn't, I wouldn't worry about four first-round picks in, in 2016. I'd roll the dice, trade at least one of those, if not two, and try to get something going now because, uh, you know, fans are, you know, they're, they're not overly patient here. Uh, they've been patient, and they will be as long as the other franchises are, are doing well. Um, but it, it'll run out at some point. Uh, if, you know, you don't want to have four back-to-back-to-back-to-back crappy seasons. I I think, you know, you're, you're set up for another year next year, unless they add something major, that you're going to be a fringe playoff team. And then you want to be ready to go for, for 2016.
0: Perfect way to get you out on that. Jeff Goodman of ESPN and ESPN.com. You can follow Jeff on Twitter at GoodmanESPN. Jeff, third time to charm. Thanks for coming back on the show once again.
1: Nah, thanks for having me, Larry. Always appreciate it, and I uh, hope all is well. You too. All
0: right, that was certainly some interesting stuff with Jeff, as it always is. There's so much to talk about. We're going to start with the fact that he wants a team to be aggressive this offseason. I know there's still a lot of fans out there that are sort of saying, eh, you know, you know, let's you know not jump at some of these free agents, Greg Monroe and... And Draymond Green, and let's not do the Joe Dumas circa 2009 and blow all the maximum salary space on Charlie Villanueva and, and uh, Ben Gordon as he once so infamously did. And, and, you know, let's be patient and roll it over. And hey, Kevin Durant's a free agent in 2016. I mean, let's, first off, please, no Kevin Durant Celtics mentions uh, from now on ever. Uh, so let's just get that, that out, of, out of the way. And, and I know there's a lot of fans that. Or is telling the team to be patient, but I think he's also right. There's a lot of fans that you know want to see a significant step forward next year. Obviously, when this reclamation project started in July 2013, I think everybody expected 2014 and now in 2015 to be some certainly some rough waters, as they have been. But it's certainly been all geared up for the team to make significant stride forward next year. And this was going to be the big offseason. And a lot of people pointed to the fact that because Rajon Rondo, who's now no longer with the team, was a free agent in that 2015 offseason, that this coming summer was not going to be a make or break, but was going to be a pretty important fork on the road in terms of what direction the team were going in. And in reality, uh, we know with the Celtics organization, it's not about what the fans want and what the fans will wait for. That's just sort of is isn't an, is an end means for them. But what opportunities are there, and are there opportunities for this summer to this for this team to add a significant piece or pieces to the core moving forward? Uh, first off, I mean, I want to talk about his mention of Draymond Green, and there's been a lot of talk about Draymond Green getting possibly a maximum contract offer this summer. And when you think about it, everybody's a fan of Draymond Green. I mean, how can you not be? But when it's it's. Uh, Almost like John Conkac now. Draymond, Draymond Green's an infinitely player than John Conkac, but when that when uh, that former Hawk center got a big salary, he didn't become you know John Conkac, the hustle chemistry guy. He became you know the infamously worst contract in NBA history. So that would certainly the perception of Draymond Green in terms of what he does for a team. His perception would change once he gets his big contract. This summer. And the question is, will it seem like the Celtics offer that to him? First off, here's also the thing regarding max contracts this summer, and if you're gonna be spending on a guy like Reg Monroe or Green or restricted free agents like Jimmy Butler, Kawhi Leonard's name has been thrown around a little bit. It's actually gonna be a good opportunity for teams because of the new television deal, which is gonna raise the salary cap in about a year from now, I believe. So not that they be said players would become undervalued, but the actual max contract would become undervalued. So there's actually somewhat of an opportunity there that if you do end up overpaying for a player like, you know, Draymond Green or, or Butler or Leonard, you end up paying, overpaying for a guy like that right now and overpaying them as a max salary player, although Kawhi Leonard and Jimmy Butler are certainly max contract guys. They're all-stars, two-way, two-way players at that. You know... It's not a bargain, but it's actually their value down the line isn't gonna hurt as much as it normally would of a player of their stature getting, you know, the infamous max contract. So, you know, I I, I like his idea of Boston making a run at the Warriors small forward, the the Warriors glue guy. And I especially like the train of thought that he espoused when he mentioned getting a player with attitude, and that's very important, and I really, and I agree with him 100%. The Celtics, they need to start adding players that have been in winning environments to this core. They definitely cannot go out and get another not loser. I mean, these players aren't losers, but... You really want guys to be bringing that sort of influence with them and to inject said influence into this team. And I think a guy like Draymond Green would be a phenomenal addition to this team. And I would definitely consider the prospect of giving Green a max contract offer sheet and maybe seeing if Golden State matches. And of course he has to sign with you and not with the many other teams that are certainly going to be interested in his services, but I'd consider a max offer sheet for Green, and I'd certainly consider some sort of sign-and-trade offer for Green, Butler, Leonard, Monroe, to try to entice them away from their teams, and entice them away from even other teams, because the Celtics certainly have a lot of assets to throw around, a lot of assets to use, and I say it's time to start using some of the some of that ammunition and making a big step forward here in 2015. So as we get closer to the offseason, as we get closer to the draft, as we get closer to free agency, what do you want to do as a fan? I'm actually asking you, the audience. So here's a contest that we're now going to start up once again. You can go to our Google Plus page, Celtics Beat on CLNS on Google Plus. That's Celtics Beat on CLNS on Google Plus. Add us to your circles. We'll add you back to your circles, and we'll just engage in some Socratic discussion about possibilities for the Celtics this offseason, be it Green, Butler, Leonard, be it roll over the cast base entirely. Throw out some names. We'd love to hear from you. And uh, the best idea we will hand out a pair of Celtics tickets to the game against the Memphis Grizzlies in the middle of March. So that's a month from now. We'll announce our winner to that contest. So just once again, go to our Celtics beat on CLNS on Google Plus page, add us to your circles. We'll add you back to your mm-hmm. circles. And let's have a good Socratic discussion about possibilities to the Celtics this offseason. And the winner being announced one month from today will get free Celtics tickets to a game against Jeff Green and the Memphis Grizzlies. And speaking of contests, we just had one on our Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio Facebook page. That's Celtics Beat on CLNS Radio on Facebook. Congratulations, Xavier Simpson. You are the winner of the season ticket holder benefit. And thanks to all those who participate on the Celtics Beat on CLNS Facebook page. We greatly appreciate your listenership and your participation. And we're now going to give you another chance to get back in it, this time on Google+. So definitely want to check that out. But we got to get moving here. We got around the NBA in five. Clay Thompson, 37 points and a quarter on Friday night. Wow. I mean, are you kidding me? I guess Jerry West was certainly correct in his assessment that Clay Thompson is going to be a not just a star, but a superstar. But boy, does he look intelligent right now. Talking the Golden State Warriors to, into keeping Clay Thompson and to not trade him for Kevin Love, that would not have been a, I mean, I can't say it would have been a terrible, terrible mistake. I think Golden State would certainly be a great team, but they certainly wouldn't be what they are now. They They have it all. I think, you know what, they are inching ever so closer to being my pick to winning the NBA championship, I know everyone thinks that they're sort of this fun team that's gonna you know go down and flame out in the postseason. I don't think so. I'm getting closer to really buying into their possibilities. This team, I mean, they're obviously great offensively, but they certainly have more than a competent enough defense to get through the Western Conference gauntlet and to capture that NBA crown. I think they very well could do it. I'm still sticking with my uh, preseason prediction, the Clippers. I'm still gonna stand by that, but. I can see Golden State doing this as is, is, is incredible as that sounds as they haven't won the championship since 1975, but teams that uh, haven't won the championship in a, in a long time, certainly not the Los Angeles Lakers, it's been since, oh goodness, oh, only 2010, but they are not the Lakers anymore, they are one of the worst teams in the NBA, and they will continue to be so, as Kobe Bryant is now likely out for the year. Uh, torn rotator cuff, you know, he, he's all done. <laughs> he's definitely i don't know why he's playing certainly now for the money and for for the records and the points. Uh because to keep grinding out pretty much i mean these are pretty severe injuries achilles injury and now the dreaded torn rotator cuff i know that's not as a severe injury as what it used to be and because you can fix it in some surgeries if it's not as bad you can get some sort of arthroscopic surgery and it can be healed in six to eight weeks and you know not not heal enough to play basketball again but Good enough to have it. I actually, not gonna lie, I actually have, I actually have a slightly torn rotator cuff in my left shoulder. Pain in the butt doesn't kill me, but my left arm is significantly weaker than my right arm, so it really bothers me that I can't be as effective in the gym as I normally like to be. And yet I keep putting off surgery. But it's not a fun injury to have. And Kobe uh, Bryant, uh, you know, <laughs> in the words of Bill Simmons, I guess, keep getting them checks because that's the only reason why. That he's still playing because he's being grossly overpaid by the Lakers. But you now let's get back on a little more positive track. We were talking about the Warriors out west. Atlanta Hawks, are you kidding me with this 15 wins in a row and it's going to be 16 as soon as they dispatch the Timberwolves tonight? It's just I, I, I am flabbergasted at how good they are. I mean, that's I mean I know that they got a great coach. And they have great veteran players on that team, real you know good winners. Kyle Korver, Paul Millsap, Mari Carroll obviously a big everyone's a fan of his. He's sort of like the Draymond Green out East, being that glue guy for that team. But I mean, to to, to be uh, have a record as good as they do with still not even like like a superstar is just is 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 incredible. I'm literally here at a loss for words. Will they be able to carry it into the postseason? Uh, we'll see, right? I mean, you know, it's it's funny about the Hawks. They've always had good teams throughout their history. They've always been sort of like the perennial 45-50 to 50 win team. They really only had, I think, 88-94, well, like and 94, where they've been like 55-plus wins. So obviously, 94 was the infamous year. They had the best record in the Eastern conference. They traded Dominique Wilkins right at the trade deadline. Still finished with the best record in the East, but they went out in the playoffs fairly early. But other than that, I, that's ne- this is franchise that's never been to the conference finals, despite the fact that they've been a really good team. Is this year they can get to the conference finals? Believe it or not, I'm still not entirely sure. I still expect Cleveland to be there. I still expect that team to make a run this off uh, this off season, this season, excuse me. And then you got teams that are battle tested like Washington and Chicago. You know Atlanta. We'll see. I'm I'm still not 100% buying it, but it's still a phenomenal story. But and we're talking about Chicago. There's been mention of Tom Thibodeau. Is he in trouble? Uh, no, I don't think so. I can see why that you're sort of hearing these murmurs coming out of Chicago. You know, he's obviously he has that Mike Keen, Pat Burns, to use hockey analogies, type demeanor about him where he can sort of wear out on teams. But he's still a phenomenal coach. And, I mean... Bulls would certainly I know there's a little bit of a division there between him and management, but he can't let a guy like him go. He is, I think the backbone of their success, especially in these last few years, not this year, but in this past two years when Rose is out. So I don't think you're going to be seeing him a departure from him in Chicago anytime soon. But you'll be seeing a departure from me and this show, at least for one more week, because that's going to do it for this week's edition of Celtics Beat. Music for Celtics Beat was provided by Will Rock, Chuck Dietz, Ostra Vex, and Steph Legrateau. Be sure to follow us on social media. Our Twitter handle is Celtics underscore Beat, and you can like Celtics Beat on us Radio on Facebook to keep up with the show. Also, you want to check out our Google Plus page as well, especially to enter that context. I'd like to thank our guest, Jeff Goodman of ESPN and ESPN.com, for our staff writer, Eddie Santiago, myself, the executive producer and host of today's show. See you next Sunday for yet another edition of Celtics Beat, heard exclusively on CLNS Radio.